They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. It is said that all good things must come to an end or it's too good to be true. And I always approach those sentiments with a one word question that rarely if ever gets answered. As a matter of fact, I can't recall the time when it ever did get answered. Why? Why must all good things come to an end? Why is something too good to be true? Are we that cynical, that jaded, that hurt? that traumatized by life itself, that good things seem to be anomalies to us. Good things can't be our quote-unquote norm. They have to be extraordinary circumstances that happen to us instead of us happening to create good things and good times for ourselves and for others. And though this is a solo mission, it is not Cyclops, it is not I alone who makes this happen, so allow me to reintroduce myself this is The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, including and exclusively at this point at anchor.fm. We've been jaded that two things cannot be true in the same space. This disbelief has created the environment for what we like to call the Embrace Debate Society. If you're for one thing, you must be totally against the other thing. This has made millionaires and billionaires out of television executives and podcasters alike. Nuance and balance, not in the cards. It's not the way that's supposed to work. And the pinnacle of this environment and the attention economy, where people damn near live and die for likes and retweets, and all press is bad press, which is good press, which is sad, but the world in which we currently inhabit. The king of embrace debate, especially on the sports end. Well, there's some competition between two guys who some might say is Screaming A. Smith of ESPN's first take and the multitude of shows that he's been giving the keys of the car to at Disney Sports, the entertainment and sports programming network, also known as ESPN, or one Skip Water Pistol Pete Jr. Bayless at Fox, who at the height of his disrespect utilizes his daily foil, a Hall of Famer, a three-time Super Bowl champion, Shannon Sharp, as a way to get off and live vicariously through the Tom Brady's, the Tim Tebow's, the Baker Mayfield's of the world, if he criticizes them in any shape, form, or fashion. This happened recently. And to be clear, I'm a huge fan of the good doctor, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr., he stunk up the place last week. He stunk up the place this week. I haven't watched their program on Fox to see how Sharp went back at Bayless, who is also an unabashed Cowboys fan. He's not an unabashed Cowboys fan in so much as he is a Jerry Jones fan. 
I'm starting to draw lines here. And if you want to connect dots, it's totally up to you. I won't do it for you. But when Shannon Sharp criticized Tom Brady for playing poorly, Skip Bayless's emotions were hurt. He didn't have a nerve touched. He had his entire central nervous system touched by Shannon Sharp. Why? Why did he take it so personally? It was the truth. He didn't like it. Almost like critical race theory in America. But that's another deep dive I'm not going to go into right now. It's the festive season, apparently. So I'll chill for now. Truth doesn't matter to some people. As long as you yell the loudest and cry the most, you quote-unquote win the argument. Or if you're in charge of the show, you get to win the argument. It's good TV. It's sports entertainment. It's rigged. The game is rigged. Shouts out to my man, Preston Broaddus. For those who know, you know. The game is rigged. Water Pistol Pete Jr. said, well, you're not as good as him. It had nothing to do with Shannon Sharp, other than the fact that Shannon Sharp brought it up and Skip Bayless didn't want to hear it. This happened before to me and Skip Bayless, along with my partner, Dwayne Watson, on the radio show at TSN, the sister network of ESPN in Canada, on our show, one-on-one with Will and Wayne for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. And here we are. The week before, we had interviewed Stephen A. Smith. He was very guarded in this conversation with us. I don't know if someone told him about how we get down, but he was very, very protective, very, very smart in how he navigated the conversation. There was no confrontation being had. He was definitely going to clip it before it started. Clearly, he didn't want the smoke. The next week, we interview his partner. This is when they were both on first take at ESPN. And Skip came on talking about how he could beat Spud Webb in the shooting contest. At 60, he was in great shape, and he was a better shooter than Spud Webb. I'm like, uh, okay. So Dwayne and I ran him through this thing we called the association, which is the word association game. I do the same thing on this podcast. I've created all these segments. I didn't want them to die. They're good segments to interact with a guest. And we threw some names and words out to him, and he gave his answers. And when... I said Water Pistol Pete Jr. to him. He said Jalen Rose. Now, mind you, we were scheduled to go on to first take. Dwayne and I were scheduled to go on first take like they came on our show. So this is an exchange. After I posed the Water Pistol Pete Jr. and the last one, telejournalistic integrity to Skip, he pretended like he couldn't hear what I was saying, didn't understand what the phrase was. Okay. Shortly after that, his publicist called us and said, hey, we would have to bump you guys from tomorrow's program. They never called back. See, a bully likes it when they can bully until you punch them back in the mouth. I had a bully when I was a kid. I actually ran into again just recently on these rough interweb streets. Hadn't seen him in years. And for a minute, I was shook of him. Then one day we were playing football, like we were talking about Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. And I was scoring a bunch of touchdowns. And he was mad. He tried to hit me. And on this day, I chose violence. I wasn't having it. Beating him down so bad, his older brother's like, you got you better beat him down. He couldn't beat me. That day, it was just my day. After that, Leonard and I became friends. I'm not going to tell you his full name, but I just told you his first name. So It's crazy because when you punch a bully in the mouth, they don't want to really fight. They're surprised you even stepped up to him. But that's the whole format, the whole dynamic that they establish in this embrace debate, sports talk, television thing they do. Everything is subject to debate. To the degree that they do it, even when they know the truth. Mm. I guess that's why I try to offer some balance in what I do here on The Open Run with Will Strickland 
and the balance of power in the National Basketball Association will not be solved in December, but it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the most wonderful time of the year, as they say, and the Christmas games are upon us. And we wanted to do a Christmas game preview of all the games that are going on on Happy Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, Diwali, Eid Day. The first game of the day, the New York Knickerbockers versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Very interesting. I've been kind of shitting on the Knicks. I can't lie. No more Knicks tape. No more bing bong. I talked to Steve Rifkin about it. Calling in a closet full of less shoes. But recently, with all the left-handed players, they've gone on a seven-game losing strike, including six straight on the road. So maybe the bing bong is back. Can they keep this going? R.J. Barrett, who I called out maybe a week or so ago, is actually playing at the level. A high draft pick is expected by virtue of his selection in the draft. And talent is supposed to be playing for a franchise in the National Basketball Association. He's doing that. Jalen Brunson seems to be worth the $111 million. Mark Cuban kept in his pocket and allowed the Knickerbockers to pay for him. He's playing well right now. He's leading that team. There's a sense of pride and intensity and understanding of what it takes to make that push, and I think Jalen Brunson's the lead of that. Well, I don't think I know. It's not Julius Randle, who could or could not be on the trading block. I thought that he might have a new address. But I think a lot of these teams also don't want people to be moving around before Christmas. It's family time, whatever. But come January, pack your bags. Time moving on. Do they move Randle right now? I doubt it. They're going to see how this plays out all the way to the February deadline, unless there's a significant change. I think they may end up staying pat, which is crazy, but it's real right now. They're playing well. Also playing better with the return of James Edward Harden Jr. and the Colonel's son, Joel Hans Embiid, of the Philadelphia 76ers. This is going to be a good matchup. They're going to miss Tyrese Maxey, who's definitely on the most improved list, although Jordan Poole's more than likely going to get that, at least as it stands right now. But I'm looking forward to this. This has been a, a matchup in the 80s. I was really a big fan of watching the Knicks and the Nets or the Knicks and the Sixers or whoever Boston and the Sixers play on Christmas Day back then. And I'm looking forward to this game to open up the Christmas Day schedule for the NBA. The second game of the day, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Dallas Mavericks, where idols become your rivals. Yes, Luka Lamar, that's with two R's, Doncic versus the hashtag, he who shan't be named, who will be without Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr., now for the next couple of weeks with a sprained foot, the jokes abound as street clothes is going to be sitting on the sidelines once again. But again, what are your long-term versus your short-term goals? The long-term is to have him not injured for a significant part of the season, any season outside of the so-called bubble season, which was very truncated. But that's a whole nother conversation. We'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast. But I'm looking forward to this. Lucas playing at an MVP level. Shouts out to my man, Kimball Walker, who just had a career day. And when I say career day, it is not his highest scoring game in his career. This is one that validates that he can still play the game at a high level. And he'll have nights like this. There'll be throwback nights. But Kimball Walker's a serious player, and I'm happy for him. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. In the 5 o'clock game, a matchup between the two top teams in the East, the beast of the East, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. Could it be an Eastern Conference preview? Could be. These are the two best teams. I mean, it's an MVP candidate battle as well between Giannis Ugo Laterrence Attentacupo and Jason Christopher Tatum Sr. Will he fold in these big moments? 
I know people say, oh, these are regular season games. They did the same thing when they played Golden State and, and Jason Tatum didn't have a great game. These games matter. They matter on your resume. They matter to your psyche, especially in the world where people are parsing everything you do on social media. He has to have a big game. And for them to compete against Milwaukee and say that they can stack up. Now that James Christian Middleton is back from Milwaukee Bucks and the Time Lord, Robert Williams III, also back in the fold. Shouts out to Al Horford, who just got fined $25,000 for elbowing Mo Wagner of the Orlando Magic. I can't see how that could happen. I'm not promoting violence. I'm just having some fun. And I can understand why Mo Wagner got elbowed by Al Horford, one of the nicest guys in the league. Again, let's move on. It's Christmas spirit, apparently. And I'm going to continue with the primetime game of the day. The Memphis Grizzlies versus the Golden State Warriors. No Wardell Stephen Curry II, but the Ejection Brothers will be in the game. I'm talking about Draymond Jamal Green Sr., who's ejected recently over heckling a fan. And the fan agreed to pay or match the fine he had to face for the ejection. And Draymond said it was cool, but whatever the case might be. And, you know, you think about player protection and safety and how some people get out of pocket because they believe based on the actions of a guy, a non-player, a guy who never really played at any significant level, like Skip Bayless, to say anything for these athletes who have achieved way more in their fields than Skip Bayless ever will. And then, on the other side of this, and to me, it's Jamel Morant, you must trust, who was ejected for cursing the referee and questioning the integrity. This is the official language they utilize. Questioning the integrity of the official when he's saying, I can't get a fucking call. And he was talking to someone on the sideline. They ejected him for that. He wasn't even talking to the referees. So he ends up going into the locker room and FaceTiming with the young lady who he's talking to to let her dad and her people know that there was no beef. There was just, he was telling her what was going on. So that's dope for job. Ja, but, you know, who's going to run up that chimney and chase all the smoke in that game? You're going to find out. Because the Memphis Grizzlies are the top team in the West right now. And the Golden State Warriors are trying to climb out of the hole they started the season with. And now without Steph Curry, we'll see how that happens. And then the last game of the evening, the Phoenix Suns, not winning a whole lot of games since Kanye West allegedly outed Chris Paul and his former wife, Kim Kardashian, for being together while they were together. I think their record is 1-6 since then. Salacious and juvenile, but worth noting because during that time, Devin Booker's been playing at an MVP level including scoring 58 points in recent contest against the New Orleans Pelicans and the beef that those two teams have. That's been a great series so far. But the Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jamain, that's J-apostrophe-M-A-Y-N-E, Jokic, who put up a monster night. There have only been four other people in the history of the game put up a night like he did with a 40, 25, and 10 assist. A triple-double like that. The first three... Wilton Norman Chamberlain, who did it four times. Elgin Gay Baylor did it once. And Oscar Palmer Robertson did what Nicola Germain did. 40 points, 27 rebounds, and 10 assists in a game against the Charlotte Hornets. It was lunchtime and he was feasting. The two-time reigning and defending MVP of the league. Going to be a lot of points and another MVP matchup between Booker and the Joker. December 15th, 2020 marked the second birthday for the open run with Will Strickland. And I want to thank you guys again for being a part of it. We're continuing the celebration 
It's a celebration, bitches. On the podcast and outside of the podcast, I'm very fortunate to be able to speak to you and to have you listen and respond and tell me what you think about the podcast. It's a great feeling to know that you can offer something to discourse that's not always offered. A little something different. Counters of what people believe is the truth. Like Kyrie Andrew Irving. Continuing his largesse that he's always done, even before this whole thing with the film and the Amazon thing and the tweet. A student from Howard University noted that she needed $6,000 to stay in school and quietly. Irving donated to her GoFundMe account 22000 to make sure she didn't have to worry about that anymore. Shouts out to Kyrie Andrew Irving. And shouts out to all the good people here who answer that question that I asked in the beginning. Why? What is your why? What's well, the reason you're still here? So come back for more on the other side of this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with you, the listener, in the holiday season. The spirit that is happy, Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, Diwali, it's all included. That whole little hashtag that I deal with. But getting into some college basketball here, as Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker is now the new NCAA president, taking over from Mark Emmert. I don't even know why you still exist. But they're working hard to maintain the infrastructure for the institutions that have long ignored labor relations practices. As a matter of fact, the National Labor Relations Board is going to argue on behalf of student athletes, if you want to call them that, or to Walter Byers, that USC, the University of Southern California, the Pac-12 and the NCAA are involved in unfair labor practices as introduced by the National College Players Association, the same group of people who fought for a union from Northwestern University some 10, 12, 15 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. I think we talked about this on All Balls Don't Bounce years ago, but they're fighting for that right. I mean, they think that name, image, and likeness is cool, but all athletes, no matter what their discipline should be paid accordingly for their labor to the university. By bringing revenue to the university, by bringing prestige to the university, they should be compensated accordingly. The scholarship is like chess records giving out Cadillacs or Pretty Tony from the Mac saying, yo, I keep them looking good and all that, but no dough. When I got a bitch, I got a bitch. That's what the NCAA wants to have. And the National Labor Relations Board is like, nah, we got to fight. Shout out to the 9 0. Rice Owls on the women's side of things. My man, Tony McIntyre's daughter, Dominique Ennis, is a member of that team. So hootie who the Rice Owls all day, every day. Conference USA at the top of the conference right now. We're going to see how they do throughout the rest of the season. But there's some great games on this past weekend, including the number five team in the country, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, led by Olivia Miles, defeating the number six. I didn't know Virginia Tech had a team that was that good. But they were number six. They lost in a good game to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, as well as number two, Stanford, defeating the legendary University of Tennessee squad. This falling on some hard times. The young lady I talked about last week who had to call it a season. We had to call it a season because of blood clots in her lungs. They lost to Stanford. But as we do each and every week, we're going to go through the top five on the women's side of the National Collegiate Athletic Association at number one. 
the reigning and defending national champions, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, Dawn Staley's squad, faced a serious challenge from, of all people, South Dakota State University. Did they find the blueprint to slow down the Gamecocks? People are watching, but they're still number one. At number two, Stanford, not moving. The Ohio State University at number three. At number four, Indiana, still doing their thing. And at number five, Notre Dame. As I said, there's not a whole lot of volatility in the top five on the women's side, but oftentimes on the men's side, there is. As you saw a bunch of games this past weekend, I love college basketball. This is a great time, a lot of holiday tournaments. I remember playing a bunch of them when I was younger. And Ohio State, ranked number 23 in the country, faced off against the preseason number one team in the country, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Hubert Davis's squad tumbled out of the top 25. Dramatically, after being on a four-game winning strike, they're trying to fight back. Fight back! And they beat Ohio State this past weekend, as well as Mick Cronin's UCLA Bruins, number 16 ranked, beating John Calipari's number 13 ranked University of Kentucky Wildcats. Oscar Shibwe came back to maybe win another National Player of the Year right now. They're not playing like that. Still a top team, but I'm not seeing that, and we'll probably see more when they get into conference play. But right now, it's not happening for the University of Kentucky. And those self, Teflon Bill and number eight, Kansas University Jayhawks, defeated the number 14, Indiana Hoosiers of Mike Woodson, Woody. Nice little squad. And I love that these top tier teams are playing one another in these holiday tournaments as they get ready for conference play and the NCAA tournament. And a big game this weekend, Tommy Lloyd's Arizona Wildcats, number nine ranked in the country, defeated the number six ranked Tennessee Volunteers of Rick Barnes. I think both of those teams are going to be in the mix when it comes down to it. Will they meet the Elite Eight, maybe the Sweet 16? But I'm looking forward to March Madness because it's fantastic. Or is that the NBA? Well, what's fantastic is going into the top five on the men's side of the NCAA and number one, Purdue, who survived Davidson, Steph Curry's old school, in a good game this past weekend, as well as University of Virginia, who ended up losing the number two University of Virginia Cavaliers, losing to the number five and formerly ranked number one Houston Cougars of Kelvin Sampson. So those guys are going to move around a, a little bit. And at number three, Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies, who may move up a little bit because of the loss of Virginia to the University of Houston and also, number four, Alabama, losing to the number 15, Gonzaga Bulldogs. Drew Timmy had an incredible game despite a 36-point outburst from Bama's star freshman, Brandon Miller. So, to sum all of that up, number one, Matt Painter's Purdue Boilermakers. Number two, Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies. Number three, Kelvin Sampson's University of Houston Cougars. Number four, Tommy Lloyd's Arizona Wildcats. And at number five, the Teflon Bill, Bill Self, and his Kansas University Jayhawks. Now, that's your top five for this week on the men's side. And if we did have a bottom five, would this guy, you know, this other professional athlete who is a head coach at Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi, not the one that's leaving, not the one that's catching all the vitriol for making a choice about his why and what his why is, but... There's another one, also a champion, the 2016 NBA champion, Mo Williams, who's the head coach of a not-so-good, no, they stink, the basketball team there at Jackson State. But what about the support? 
If you're supposed to support the HBCU, is support everything to it and with it and about it. Or can you pick and choose because he was popular, because he sold you pie in the sky? You feel a certain way about it, but you go to church, uh, you, you know what, some people are going to be offended. Let me stop. But Mo Williams, the head coach of the Jackson State basketball team, is begging, on television, begging for people to come out and support the team, support the HBCU, the energy that the fans give you and everything else. Crickets, nobody's showing up. You wonder why. Are you supporting your HBCU? That's not a rhetorical question. What is also not a rhetorical question is, are you coming back for more of the open run with Will Strickland on the other side of this? Absolutely. Now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation with the NBA. Yes, Adam Silver. Talk to us as the NBA All-Star Game voting starts very, very soon. And this new rule called the Wiggins Rule, where you can only vote on the NBA app and at NBA Online because of the K-pop star who made sure that Andrew Wiggins was an All-Star last year. And this is not to say that Andrew Wiggins did not have a superlative season, capping it off with a championship. Maybe it gave him the confidence to live up to the expectations of a former number one pick in the draft. But when you look at all the players at his position who were out at the time, I think there's no Paul George, no Kawhi Leonard, no Brandon Ingram, guys like that in the West. It was almost that he wanted by default. And a lot of people were saying that it's like a bubble all-star. More on that later. But he won. I don't know if this is the way for the NBA, like the Republicans who want to limit who can vote and who cannot vote, or if they just want to make sure that there's no overt ballot box stuffing. I mean, I do recall the year that somehow the great and immortal Zaza Pachulia almost made an all-star team just because. Now, I know it's a popularity contest. It always has been. But, you know, there's some merit to it as well. Guys have to be able to play and be playing well at the time to be voted onto the all-star team. The fans are such a great part of what makes the NBA the NBA. And so I understand how they broke up the vote between the players and the fans and the media to be as equitable as possible. But some people take advantage of that as they try to at all times. Let's find a loophole. We want to circumvent the system. It's the American way, no? So be it. Along the way, Mr. Silver and his cohorts at the association Decided, hey, we need to rename our awards. It's an odd timing to do that. I don't know why that happened all of a sudden. Maybe, uh, I mean, I can stand on a conjecture corner all day and tell you what I think. But maybe you should let me know what you think. Reach out to me at my social media handles. You know what they are. W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG. And, you know, let me know what you think about these new awards, including... Most Improved Player Award, which they named the George Mikan. I don't get it. The league's first superstar was a star at the gate. His first season, he averaged 28 and 15 or 28 and 13. Next year, 27 and 13. Doesn't mean he got worse. He won five championships before he retired. He saw it was coming down the hill. But he was a big proponent of increasing the visibility of the game. As many may or may not remember, he was the first commissioner 
As a player of a major four sports league, the ABA with the red, white, and blue basketball and the three-point shot. So George Mikan was not above that. Maybe that's why he's the most improved because he improved the game by being willing to see the game advancing beyond the realm of his initial understanding of the game. But I still don't get why he was the most improved. I'm not really sure at this point of whom they should have named the award after. But when I think about who made the greatest improvement from this thing to being a crucial star, not a guy that was a star from the beginning, maybe Andrew Wiggins is an example of that, even though he was the number one pick in the draft. Maybe they should have named this award the Nikola Jermaine Jokic Award, the number 46 pick in the draft and a two-time MVP of the league. I wouldn't have been opposed to that. It makes sense. If you want to talk about most improved, it could have been him or a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, and it still would have been fair. Let me know what you think. At next, the Clutch Award, Jerry West, who's already in a long-time battle, if you want to call it that. I think he's given up at this point. Between the NBA, who says, no, the logo is not Jerry West. It's some random picture that we have, and it's clearly Jerry West, like everything about it. But that's why he's not getting paid. He's like these record labels, not paying their recording artists, their royalties, where they're Big Red from the Five Heartbeats or Master P going through it with his son on these rough interweb streets talking about, why are you airing out our dirty laundry? And little Romeo saying, hey, all my career, I've never touched my own money. That money was used to pay off my daddy's taxes. Maybe Jerry West was saying the same thing about the NBA. And that's why they'll never give him money for his name, images, and likeness in the NBA. Should he go back to school? Does he have any more eligibility? How old is Jerry West? Like 85, 84? He's somewhere around there. Anyway, the Clutch Award. These metrics are going to be funny how they determine this. But the Clutch Award will be named after Jerry West. The Sixth Man of the Year Award, without question, should be called the John Havlicek Award. John Havlicek was a 1960 Olympic gold medalist, guy who lent even more to the Boston Celtics as they started to roll through the NBA shortly after the arrival of the late, great William Felton Russell in Massachusetts. Havlicek could have started, much like Emmanuel David Ginobili or Billy Cunningham or any of these other guys who are great sixth men who could have been starters and stars anywhere else, but they chose to subvert their talents and be the leaders of the second unit and add a spark. Shouts out to Bobby Jones, I think the first sixth man of the year award winner. There's a key component in the championship in 1983 of the Philadelphia 76ers. Kevin McHale, another award winner. These guys are contributing to the winning of those teams. But people talk about who has the most. Should be named as the person who has the most. Well, I mean, if they didn't have the award when you were around, kind of hard to say he had the most when you know the position was created or the idea of the position was created because of John Havlicek. So you name it in that sense. It's like Bill Russell. The finals MVP didn't exist until his final year and the year he retired, they won the championship, but Jerry West actually won the first finals MVP. So there's some wiggle room there, I guess, because that's the logic being utilized for one other award we'll talk about in a second. But the Sixth Man of the Year Award, John Havlicek. The Defensive Player of the Year Award goes to a man who is not allowed to be immortalized by virtue of his religion with statues and the like. Hakeem Abdul-Olajuwon, Defensive Player of the Year Award, is apropos to me. Some people say, oh, it should be Dikembe. Shout out to Dikembe. Hope you're feeling better and trying to recover from the diagnosis of brain cancer that we announced some time ago on the podcast. Or Dwight Howard. 
guys who've been named defense player. I mean, you could have named after Bill Russell too. You could have named it after Wilt. But I like Akeem as that player. So the Defensive Player of the Year Award goes to Akeem Abdul-Alaziwan. The Rookie of the Year Award goes to the first man to ever be named Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season. The other person in 1967, Wesley Unseld of the Baltimore Bullets. But Wilton Norman Chamberlain was the first. Is that an appropriate award for him? Uh, okay. But Wilt is palming two basketballs and stretching out. A guy who will be the Paul Bunyan of the NBA forever. There's some records that will never be broken. Could his 100-point game been broken by Kobe being Bryant? Possibly. But now we'll never know. Shouts out to the late, great legend. Kobe, rest in power. And last but not least, let's get out the moist towelettes and the cigarettes for some as they have canonized the most valuable player of the league trophy as St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. Yes, the Michael Jordan Award. They went through painstaking details to make sure that you understood what the award was about, how many years he played in the league, how much it weighs, 23.6 pounds or something like that. So there's 23, he's number, six championships. I get it. But he won five MVPs. And there's a young man, the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., is probably, if not truly, the most decorated basketball player in the history of the game. He's arguably the best high school player ever. He's easily the best college player who ever played. And with the scoring record, soon to fall down at the hands of the hashtag he was named, with five championships and six MVPs and the scoring record, like his resume is hard to beat. And somehow, because his game was not sexy, because he was not ESPN ready, because he was not highlight ready material, because he came before the social media era, because his sneakers were not coveted in the way that young people were killing themselves just to have them, Cream gets disallowed. I don't get it, but hey, I do get it. It's the age in which we inhabit. The timing was odd to me. I don't know if this is the Michael Jordan, Adam Silver thing. I mean, Adam Silver is one of the executive producers of The Last Dance and the timing of that was curious as well. But by doing this, they kind of stamp the idea that the NBA sees Michael Jeffrey Jordan as the GOAT. And this is where the sports entertainment part comes in. It's not under debate that Michael Jordan is legitimately in the argument for the greatest player who ever played this game. That's not subject to debate. But when you look at the body of work and you compare bodies of work, it's hard to defeat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, the man won an MVP of the finals in 1971, and then 14 years later, it's never been done, won it again in 1985. And much like we do on this podcast, Kareem started strong, and he finished stronger. We say it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and we're going to finish strong. So come back for more on The Open Run with Will Strickland right after this. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank you all once again. Spreading love, it is a Strickland way. Celebrating our second birthday. I want to thank you once again. Thank you. Sometimes it's not enough. But I want to let you know that you are loved and you are appreciated. Much like the birthdays that we missed this month. Including those of the white David Howard, Malcolm Brogdon, 
DeAndre Hunter of the Atlanta Hawks. My man De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings, the surprising Sacramento Kings. We talked about Kevin McHale earlier in the Sixth Man of the Year Award. And of course, his teammate, the great and illustrious Larry Joe Bird, all celebrating birthdays this month. So salute to you all. We'll talk about very, very, very serious birthday coming up at the end of the month as well. And with that being said, let's give you the rest of the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Rest in power. Shouts out to Lewis Orr, who played in some of those Christmas games with the Knicks. That's when I remember him the most. The University of Syracuse star, who's number 55, is retired there. Passed away at the age of 64 after a battle with cancer. I think it's pancreatic cancer. Eton Thomas, former student athlete there at Syracuse University and also longtime player in the National Basketball Association. Also with a podcast, hopefully we'll have him on sometime in the new year. Talk about Coach Orr, who he said lent him such great advice and was always there in a caring ear. He will be missed by many. So rest in power to Lewis Orr. Also, rest in power to Billy Moore, the first woman to win titles with two different teams in the NCAA. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even the NCAA for women yet. It was the AIAW. When she won in 1970 for Cal State Fullerton and then in 1978 with Ann Myers, one of the few women to ever be drafted for an NBA roster in league history. And that team at UCLA in 1978 won a national title. Miss Moore was also the first Olympic coach for the U.S. basketball team as they went to Montreal in 1976, winning a silver medal. And she coached the late great Pat Summit, the legendary University of Tennessee head coach both of whom are in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in Knoxville, Tennessee. So rest in paradise to Billy Moore. Salute to Brittany Griner, who's back on U.S. soil, dunking a light workout not too long ago and stating her intention to be back with the Mercury in 2023. So very happy for her and happy for the league and happy for the Mercury, who are going to go through some changes. With Robert Sarver selling the team, you do not know who's going to be in charge there. I know that the level of flux that the team will be in is nothing in comparison to what Brittany Griner faced. So, shouts out to Brittany Griner. And shouts out to Christopher Emanuel Paul, the Winston-Salem State University graduate. 19 years after he left Wake Forest, went back to get his degree from the HBCU. A huge proponent of HBCUs, Chris Paul has always been in support of them. So, shouts out to Chris Paul for going back and getting back to the community that gave to him. Injuries to report. Clint Capella of the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe not on the trading block now because of the strained cap. I don't know if that's real or not. I shouldn't say that because I don't don't want to question someone's injury. But we've seen worse as we've had teams like the Brooklyn Nets get fined $25,000 for not properly reporting injuries to the National Basketball Association. You're messing with the church house money. Those betters, those gamblers need that injury report. You didn't know why they do that? Now you do. And with John Collins also on the trading block or in trade talks on the injured reserve list, as well as DeJounte Deshaun Murray, the Hawks, fighting to remain in playoff position in the very, very talented Eastern Conference. Of course, I talked about Anthony Davis and his foot. He's going to be out for the next couple of weeks, probably about a month. And last but not least, and very significant, even though they didn't really need Steph Curry and the rematch of the 2019 NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. But Wardell Stephen Curry out for a couple of weeks with an injured left shoulder. Yeesh. Jordan Poole doing a great job playing Steph Curry's understudy. With Andrew Wiggins coming back off the IR soon. 
Golden State Warriors don't have a whole lot to worry about until the playoffs start. If Steph is not up to snuff, it could be difficult to defend that title. But they are still the team to beat. Some milestones. I talked about Kimba Walker having a throwback game. 32-5-7 and seven in a one-point loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers this past week. With no Luka, no problem. Kimba Walker stepped in, did the Lord's work. And almost helped him win a game. I'm happy for one of the best guys in the league. Just a really solid dude all the way around. And... Another milestone, as each and every day that passes, seems that the hashtag he who shan't be named, not just another milestone, he is second all-time in 30-point games scored in the National Basketball Association, only behind St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. And also, he's now ninth in all-time steals in NBA history, surpassing the great Hakeem Abdul-Olajuwon, and only trailing Clyde the Glide Drexler by a few. He's going to surpass him before season's end, or so it would seem. And there were some games of the week this week. Of course, Golden State and Milwaukee, big game. Milwaukee stomped them. Boston, L.A. in that West Coast swing was not going to be successful for them. Losing to Golden State, losing to the Clippers. They didn't lose to the Lakers, however. Despite being up late, the Lakers coming back, going ahead of the Celtics. And then the Celtics forcing an overtime in which Jason Tatum totally took over 44 points, including hitting a tough jumper to work. Over the hashtag, he who shan't be named. Anthony Davis had an opportunity to win the game. Missed two free throws. Had 37-15 game. But those who, they need the most. Obviously, that was the game of the week as well. But that Phoenix-New Orleans game. And I always look forward to these games now because of the budding rivalry between the two teams. But when Book puts up 58 and torches everything moving on your squad, you have to ask yourself some questions, Willie Green. Who can guard that man? Zion had a great game. Didn't matter. Book, 58 points, and he scored him in every way possible. Are they still in the power 10? Let's find out here on the open run with Will Strickland at number one, but teetering on the brink of being number two. As a matter of fact, let's keep it a buck. The Milwaukee Bucks at number one this week in our power 10, supplanting the Boston Celtics, who have been on a swoon lately, losing four of their last five. At number two, the Boston Celtics. At number three, the number one team in the West, the Memphis Grizzlies. At number four, the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number five, a team on a four-game winning strike, the New Orleans Pelicans. Sliding a little bit. At number six, the Brooklyn Nets. 81 points between Kevin Wayne Durant and Kyrie Andrew Irving in a game against the Detroit Pistons this past weekend. They didn't really need that help. But they did work, no doubt. At number six, the Brooklyn Nets starting to form into the team that everyone thought they could be before all the turmoil. And now they're way above 500, digging themselves out of that early hole in the season. At number seven, the Denver Nuggets. Nicola Germain doing his thing. I talked about that a little bit earlier in the podcast. At number eight, the Philadelphia 76ers moving steadily. But are they the oatmeal men of the Eastern Conference? They do just enough to be recognized with the talent that they have, but not enough to be really and truly canonized as one of the best teams in the league. That feels like the Philadelphia 76ers right now in the Power 10 on the open run right now at number 8. At number 9, the Sacramento Kings holding on dearly to that spot. And number 10, the Phoenix Suns. As I said, 1-6 and six since Chris Paul came back into the fold, but Devin Booker keeping them right there. Before we get out of here, I want to talk about the awards once again and a comment made by one former number two pick in the NBA draft, Evan Turner, who bounced around the league, never really fulfilled his potential based on his draft position. And he talked about in 2035, if they want to make an award for bubble championship of bubble MVP, then that's where the hashtag should be named. And I guess saying that the 
bubble championship was soft. You know, one of those championships of the many he uh, Oh, he, you mean he didn't win a championship of any sort? Not even the instant. Uh, oh, see, when you have a light body resume and a lowercase career with uppercase motivation to diss someone who has a bold typeface career, you need to stop throwing rocks to the sun, son, and taking shots at the throne. It's unnecessary, unwieldy, unsanely. Slow it down. You want some attention? You got it. What is your why, sir? I cleared you said, why not? And let it fly. Bad decision. But who made a decision that we should applaud instead of knocking him down? Because he even said this in his goodbye letter to the NBA. Tyrell Terry, who was drafted in 2020 into the league, decided he was going to retire because basketball caused him levels of anxiety and darkness in his life that he could not overcome. He said, I know some of you are going to call me a bust. How can people who could never been in position to even be drafted into something that only 450 people at one time can have jobs. How can you consider them a bust? What were the expectations of this young man other than give this thing the best shot? We live in this hypercritical world where everyone can tell you what you should be doing, even though they can't do what they tell you you should do. There's an old UPS commercial that reminds me of that, where they go to this guy who's like this pull yourself up from the bootstraps type of guy. And he needs some consultants to tell him how to move into the next century to upgrade what he's doing. These consultants, the pitch to this man, he says, okay, do it. Like, uh, wait a minute, sir. We don't do what we're advising you to do. We just tell you to do those things. That's critics. So quit it and salute this young man for having the fortitude to be able to stand alone in a sandstorm and face all the vitriol that has come his way for his decision that he made for his life to feel better about himself. I hope you feel better about yourself for listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. So until next week, will you do it to sum up the Christmas games? I think we will. So again, until next week, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to The Open Run. Rich Kid, my mellow, my man, shouts out to you and yours on this holiday season. And to each and every one of you, whether you indulge or not, be safe. And we'll see you soon. Until then, easy.